Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 as we highlight a couple of verses that we've been using through this series on being a church that lights our world. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14, we've been looking at this weekly. You are the light of the world, a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, your good deeds, and give glory to your Father in heaven. Our challenge from Scripture is that we are the people of God and we are to be light shining in a dark world. We've looked at what kind of church meets those qualifications, that what kind of church becomes that church that lights their world. We're looking at our church mission statement that says that God has called us to love God Out of Matthew chapter 22, the first and greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. We talked about what that means to come into a love relationship with God through Jesus Christ and to know Him personally and intimately. We're looking at the second half of that statement where Jesus said, now the second commandment is like it, that you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And in our church mission statement, we say that's connecting with others. So we have that three-pronged statement. We want to lead people to love God to connect with others and ultimately reach our world. We're right in the middle of that statement right now, connecting with others. So I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 13 as we look at one passage that describes this biblical community that we're called to. Romans chapter 12. Did I say chapter 12? How about chapter 12? Y'all, it's been one of those days. It has been one of those days. Emily Smith has written for the Atlantic Magazine about social disconnection in our society today. And listen to what she says. She says, in our, as we look at our society, we volunteer less, we entertain guests in our homes less often, we get married less, we're having fewer children, we have fewer and fewer close friends with whom we share intimate details of our lives. And she says, as we've become that kind of society, this has also happened. Over that time period, over the last 50 years, where we've become disconnected, she says this isolation has increased, our levels of happiness have gone down, suicide rates and depression rates have skyrocketed. Now, you don't need her to tell you that, do you? That as our society gets to the place where we are, our culture, people are lonely. People are surrounded by people, yet we miss that connection, that real sense of community that we need. So today I'm just going to talk about biblical community. And that community is, a, is really a, a sense of fellowship with other believers who share common attitudes, common interests, common values. Look at this description that Paul gives in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. As he talks about the body of Christ, For by the grace, God, by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. You don't hear anything else I say today. Get that right there. It is not about you. Can I say that again? 
It is not about you. God's reminded me that this morning a couple of times. I was talking to Kelly and it just hit me. It's, it's not about me. Don't think of yourself more highly than you should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Well, that's an important truth that God says we are not just a, a, a bunch of people gathered. We are the body. He gives all these analogies that, that show how the body fits together. We're many members yet one body. He describes the ministry gifts that God gives that body. But for, for today, I want us to move down to verse 9 as he gives some instructions to the church about this being a body, this biblical community. Look at verse 9. Love must be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Show family affection to one another with, with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. I love that translation. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Then verse 13, it, it, it's, it reminds us of what we looked at in Acts chapter 2. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. I'm going to stop there and, and let those two statements be bookends. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. And then this last statement right here um, in verse 16 there. Uh, don't be wise in your own estimation. Don't make too much of yourself. Well, I want to look at four truths about biblical community today and kind of fill in some of the blanks looking at the phrasing that, uh, that is used in this passage of Scripture. Number one, biblical community is based on genuine love. Biblical community, that sense of fellowship, that sense of sharing in common, common attitudes, interests, and goals, it's built and based on genuine love. Jesus said in John 13, By this will all men know that my, you are my disciples, that you love one another. We looked at that in detail a few months ago. Biblical community... It's based on genuine love. Verses 9 and 10. I just want to walk through these phrases that Paul uses here. Love, first of all, must be without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. Some translations say sincere, genuine, not acting, not, not phony. So that's the first uh, statement there. Our love for others should not be phony. He says it should be without hypocrisy. This hypocrisy word was just used to, to speak of play acting. It means to wear a mask. Your love for others should not be with a mask. Phony. Love your brother. Yeah, right. I'll be there for you. I'm going to pray for you, sister. Boy, she's something else. No, it's genuine. Not phony. I don't need to give you any instructions on how to be phony. We're pretty good at that, aren't we? It seems to just be a part of that play acting because we don't want to be genuine and transparent. I pray that God would keep us from being that. I pray that, that this would be a place where people would come and the relationships that you have with one another would be so open and so transparent and so genuine, there would be no phoniness about it. Another way to state that is our love for one another should not consist of empty words. Love you. Do you really? Do you really? I've, I've found this. I can say love you, and it's not quite as 
emotional as if I say, I love you. Love you. Especially say it to another guy. And if you had bra at the end of it, love you, bra. It's not so bad. But genuine, honest, open, transparent, not empty. I love you. I'm reminded often by people in our congregation that I should be saying that more often. God always nails me with that. I'll be with someone, I'll say bye, and as they're leaving, they say, I love you. Oh, I should have said that. Because I mean that. Love must be without hypocrisy. Don't let it be phony. Secondly, he uses this phrase here uh, in verse 9. Detest evil. Detest evil. Literally, it means away from evil. So you want to be a biblical church with biblical community? You be away from evil. I think he's speaking of this need for us to have a hatred for sin and injustice. Some translations say, hate what is evil, hate what is wrong. Is it ever right to hate anything? (laughs) We're to detest evil. Sometimes things will happen and uh, Kelly and I will get involved in somebody's life, a marriage that's not going well, and and Kelly will just say, and I hate the devil. (laughs) Because he messes lives up. Folks, to be a biblical biblical community, we have to detest, despise that which disrupts the fellowship, that which is evil. That which is injustice. Secondly, be willing to speak against those wrongs. This To detest evil is not just uh, in my own mind and in my own heart and in my own warm, fuzzy place. I don't like the injustice that's out there. It means to detest it in such a way that I actively participate in speaking against it. Watch a documentary a while back. One of those reality TV shows where they had a hidden camera and they they had somebody pose as a homeless person and some other people pose as if they were beating him up. And they, the camera, I'm glad I wasn't there, the camera showed person after person after person who ignored the homeless man being beaten up. And the question was, what would you do if that, if that were you? Would you step in and speak against evil and say, you know, this guy really, he probably might even deserve it. <laughs> but I'm going to stand up because it's wrong. Detest evil. Second phrase, next phrase here he uses is cling to what is good. I like that those two go together. I'm to, I'm to be literally away from evil and I'm to cling. It means to be cemented to what is good. Cling to what is good. One translation says hold tightly to what is good. Folks, our culture is holding tightly to what's not good. And by the way, remember when we talk about the darkness in our culture, we're not supposed to say shame on you darkness because they're just being darkness because that's what they are. You know where the shame ought to be? Figure it out. You know why the darkness is dark? Because there's not enough light penetrating the darkness. But you know why they act that way? It's because that's, that's who they are. They're not our enemy. Those people who irritate you because they have a lifestyle that doesn't please you, they're not your enemy. Satan is the enemy. He's the god of this age with a little g. He's the prince of this era. He's the one that's captured them and and distorted their thinking. Cling to what is good. Be cemented to the good things. Join to them. Fasten to them. And again, the the implication here is that I'm to take the initiative. The verb tense here is that it just isn't something that's supposed to happen. It's something I'm to take the initiative to do. I'm to cling to what is good. A biblical community will be that kind of community. Then the next phrase he uses here is to show family affection. 
to one another. Verse 10, in brother with brotherly love. Family affection with brotherly love. Some translations just say, be devoted to one another, have a genuine affection. It, it, the, the word there is, is the kind of affection that, that you have to blood relatives. I have a house full of blood relatives right now. It's great. They're just there. They're, they're, they're my family. They're, they're a part of it. I say, you want something to drink? Go get it. <laughs> right? Are you hungry? Go fix it. They're my family. It's, it's, they're my blood family. That's this word here. We're to treat others in the body of Christ like we're just family. Can you do that? Take the initiative to do that. That family affection. Uh, number one, have a, have a family kind of affection. That's just, I already said that, didn't I? Have a family kind of affection. Number two, it's a brotherly love toward other believers. It's not based on my desires and my what I want. It's not about me. It, it's about them. The line that we've used before, to live above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints I know, well, that's another story. Folks, you're going to spend eternity with, with, with us. You might as well learn to like us. And I love this phrase next in verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Isn't that interesting? Is he saying it's a competition? Who can be the best at showing honor? Not really. He's just saying, you have this attitude that says, I'm going to go the extra mile to show honor to someone else. And I think that means three things. It means to value others. That word there, to, 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 to show honor, means to value something which, which has a, a high price attached to it. Do you value your relationships with others in the body of Christ? Value. You can tell a lot about how a person feels about other people by the way they treat them. Do you value others? Uh, just a little aside here, for those of us who are task-oriented, results-oriented kind of people, don't miss the people in the process. Don't get so focused on your ministry and, and your solutions and what you're trying to accomplish for the kingdom that you miss the people in the process. That's for me. Here, here's another one for me, but you get to share in this. Don't miss the journey, the process. Value every day, every moment that God gives you to rub shoulders with these folks. He said in verse 3, this next truth here, think of others more highly than ourselves. By the way, he says it's by the grace that God has given us that we're able to do that. Think of, think of others more highly than yourself. Again, implied in the tense of these verbs here, it's to aggressively show honor. I think that's the, the understanding of outdo one another. Be aggressive in showing honor. Go out of your way to honor others. Because it is not about you. It's about others. Talking with my brother-in-law, Paul, about John Brody, former quarterback of the 49ers, and back in the 60s and 70s, he was the first million-dollar quarterback. And someone came up to him interviewing him 
He'd set all these records and making all this money. And he was asked why a million-dollar quarterback should hold the football for one of those kickers who didn't make as much money as he did to kick field goals. I love his response. He said, if I didn't hold the football, it would fall over. Pretty simple, isn't it? We seem to be the other way sometimes. Well, it's about me, and I don't need to hold the football for that guy because he, he's not as spiritually mature as I am. Ouch. He hasn't been through the pastor discipleship class like I have. He doesn't teach connection class or lead a grace group. He's not a deacon like I am. Why should I hold the football for him? That's what Jesus would be doing, don't you think? We need to move on. Y'all are slowing this down. (laughs) Number two, biblical community is not only based on genuine love, it's characterized by faithfulness. Verses 11 and 12. It is characterized by faithfulness. That means continuing, not giving up, being steadfast. Look Look at the phrases that he uses here. Verse 11, do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. One translation says, never be lazy about this. Don't lag behind in diligence. It means that our zeal should be continuous, ongoing. A zeal that, a zeal at showing honor. Sometimes we're zealous about being in a place where people will recognize us. We're zealous about getting a pat on the back. We're zealous about them remembering our name when we call the list or whatever. I get so tired of that. You left my name off. I really meant to do it. I'm glad it got through to you. You know why we leave people's names off of lists? Because we're human. A zeal that's continuous. I think I talked about this recently, but the guy that did the $54 Starbucks with 60 shots of espresso in it, because in his zeal he wanted to pay for the most expensive Starbucks drink he could and then drink it. I think he maximized the legal limit for caffeine when he did. That's not the kind of zeal we're to have. By the way, Starbucks posted at the end of that, we do not recommend doing this. We don't encourage people to follow this guy's example. Folks, Paul encourages us to follow this example. Let your zeal be the kind of zeal that is to honor others. Again, never quit serving. That's another another verb tense there where he says, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Never quit serving. It's it's 24 hours. 24-7. It's the buffet at Las Vegas. Doesn't matter what time you go by that hotel, there's a sign, now serving. Now serving. Why? What, what, it, every day. All the time. Continuous serving. Then he says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Here, we're, we're called to, to persevere through trials. Be patient in affliction. James says, consider it all joy. In James chapter 1, when you fall into these various trials, knowing that the the testing or trying of your faith will will develop perseverance, and ultimately, you'll you'll be complete. 
Rejoice in that. I tell you, I'm, the testimonies that I've heard and even been a part of some of these grace groups where people have had cancer and it's been ongoing, it's been long, it's been hard, it's, there's been surgeries after surgery, and treatment after treatment, to, to hear how these small groups have stayed together with that individual, those individuals, through those times of, of difficulty. That's biblical community. To persevere, not just through my trial. Do you see what he's saying here? I'm going to persevere through your trial. I'm to stay with you through the stuff. I'm to stay with you when everybody else is done with the stuff. Whenever we have a memorial service, we say we're going to pray for the family, and we pray for the family for a couple of days, maybe a week or two. This is talking about after that's worn off and it's no longer the thing to do to be there for that person. Be there for them. Persevere through trials. And then he mentions in that being persistent in prayer, we we rely on continuous fellowship through prayer. Now, I don't know this, but I think this, that as Paul is talking about the body of Christ, he's not just talking about me getting alone in my prayer closet and praying. This is what I think. I think he's talking about that prayer that we talked about in in Acts chapter 2, where they came together daily and prayed. Those kind of prayer meetings where we stay together and pray through whatever the situation is. Again, I'm so thankful for the prayer ministry of this church. We prayed this morning. We've got people praying for me right now as I preach. They're praying, Lord, help them to look at the clock. We meet in our grace groups and we pray, those small group settings where we we pray for one another and we pray and we pray until we see either the answer or until God says, change your prayer. Persevere in prayer. I'm convinced that those small group, intimate prayer settings are one of the things that binds this church together. When we just shed all the pretense and say, y'all pray for me. I'm going through this right now. You can sense the presence of God in that room, whether it's a living room or a a restaurant or a room in this building. When we pray, when we persist in prayer, that fellowship with one another. Number three, biblical community is based on genuine love, faithfulness, and it's characterized by giving. Characterized by giving. Look at verse 13. Share with the saints in their needs. Share with the saints in their needs. The saints, again, it's the Lord's people. It's not somebody that uh, the church says these are holy people. It just means those of us who are set apart because we know Christ. Pray for saints. Pray for believers. Uh, Just two things that I would like to say here. First of all, we need to be discerning when we share to meet the needs of others. I'm not saying that you need to be the judge and jury. I'm not saying that you need to be the person who determines whether or not it's a justified need. But if God prompts you to give, you do. If God prompts you to meet a need, you do it. And somebody else may say, well, I don't think they really needed that. Well, tell God's Holy Spirit that. If God prompts you, meet the need. But you need to be discerning that you're not enabling that person, that you're not making that person take advantage of you or the stewardship of the fellowship here. We have a compassion jar that we put out every couple of months. It'll be out in a few weeks. We encourage our people to give, and people give that, and that money is used to meet needs of people. And we try to be as discerning as we can in how we we distribute that money to those in our congregation in need. But we need to be discerning. 
I was sitting in Best Buy parking lot a while back in Corpus Christi, and I've since learned that's not the best parking lot in the world to be sitting in. But anyway, I was there. Several of our members had vehicles taken or broken into there. But I was sitting in my truck, and this man walks by, and my window was rolled down. Like Kelly had gone in to do something. And he starts telling me this story about his family and the needs that they had and how he needed some money to buy some groceries and all that, you know, the story. And so God's prompting me, you need to help this guy. So I'm, you know, while he's talking, I'm praying. You ever do that? Just going through it. And, uh, and so I say, I, I said, I'll tell you what. I said, I would like to help you. And boy, he perked up. I said, can you wait right here? I'm going to run down here to HEB and get a gift card. I'm going to bring it back to you. Before I could finish telling him that, he, he walked off. So be discerning. By the way, I think God was just saying, Kevin, are you willing to help this guy? I could have said no before I even had an opportunity, but I think God was just testing my willingness. Meet needs of others. That's just clear right there. By the way, coming up on the 21st, is that right? Care and share. Uh, our, our church started this a couple of years ago. Just care and share free giveaway. We fill the gym up with stuff. Nice stuff, good stuff, clothing, appliances, televisions, sofas, beds, furniture, you name it. We fill that gym up and we just invite people in our community to come and shop. It's a, it's a, it's a neat opportunity for this church to give to others. That demonstrates that. We have that attitude. The thing about giving, the next phrase there is pursue hospitality. That just means we're to be, be intentional about it. Pursue means Do it. Go for it. Seek out those in need to pursue it. Now this, I believe here, the need that's mentioned in hospitality is not that they get stuff or have their bills paid. The need there is that they they need maybe housing. They may need a place to stay. They may just need a place to unwind. They just may need a place to come and share their burdens with you. That's hospitality. Pursue that. Be intentional about that. Philip Yancey tells a story about Jesse Jackson visiting uh, University of Southern Mississippi, and he was touring the campus, and he, and he saw this really tall guy, obviously a basketball player with the, with the sweats on and stuff, with a little three-foot lady with him. And this big, tall basketball player, six-foot-eight, this little three-foot uh, uh, little person, picks her up, gives her a hug and a kiss, and sends her off. And so the president who's given Jesse Jackson the tour says, you know what just went on there? That's a brother and sister. And their parents died when they were younger. And he's, he's made a commitment to, to, to keep up with her. And in fact, he, he, he held out for a scholarship to this school because, and he turned down bigger scholarships, bigger schools, because this school would give a scholarship to his sister also. Jackson was really impressed by that. And he went over to talk to the guy and congratulate him on, on standing for his little sister. And, and he said, those of us who God makes 6'8 have to look out for those he makes 3'3". And I thought, that's so good. Is that not good? That's that, whether it's hospitality, whether it's giving, I think it, just, it wraps all of this, this up. Those of us who are 6'8", God says, take care of those who are 3'3". Three, three. Biblical community is characterized by giving. Number four, biblical community is deep and lasting. Those are my words. To, to describe 15 and 6, actually 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This, this, this part of the passage here, it's deep and lasting. I just want to walk through those phrases. To bless those who persecute you. 
You know that word blessing we, we get our word eulogized from? And he's just saying, what do you do at a eulogy? You say good things about the person, don't you? That's what you do at a eulogy. He says, say good things about those people who persecute you. I'd rather not. I'd rather go tell someone, one of my brothers in Christ, about how bad that person's been to me. How they've persecuted me so my brother in Christ can make me feel better about feeling bad about that. How do I know that? Because that's what we do. No, he says, speak well of those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. I love that. I don't think much explanation is needed there. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, we, why did we do what we did here this morning with these graduates? We want to rejoice with those families. It, it is so cool to go to a graduation, not to sit through all the names that you don't know in the heat. Wasn't too bad this week. But at the end, to stand on the football field and look for those teenagers who've just graduated that we know, just to go and say, hey, man, congratulations. Why do we do that? We want to rejoice with those who rejoice. And he says, weep with those who weep. Man. Linda Ronstadt used to have a song, and there was a line in, everybody loves a winner, but when you lose, you lose alone. That's well, such a sad song. That's not biblical community, is it? When you lose, you have a community that's going to go through it with you, that's going to weep with you. Last week, a group of us drove to Tomball, Texas. Bill Allen, Bill and Eileen were members of this church for a long time. Bill dug the ditches by hand around this property to bury the water lines and utility lines. Just had a servant's heart. He passed away recently, and just a bunch of us piled in cars and went there and just wept with Eileen. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Some translations say, be in the same mind, verse 16. Be in agreement with one another. Some say, translations say, live in harmony with one another. How do you do that? First of all, you have to seek the mind of Christ. One of the things that we talk about as a staff all the time is, is we want this church to be focused on, on God's biblical agenda, not our agenda. I could go make one up, and it'd sound pretty good to me. We want to be focused on this. Why do we do that? Because this is what unites us. This this mission statement we have, the purpose that God's called us to, it's based on the mind of Christ, what He wants for the world. It's kingdom-oriented. And if we can focus our minds and, and hearts on that, then there's unity. If we miss that focus, we miss it. Someone said that if you're not oaring, you, you probably are more, more likely to rock the boat if you don't have an oar. If you're not saying, I want to be a part of that purpose that this church has been called to, and I want to be about that. That comes by knowing the mind of Christ, knowing exactly what he wants for us. We used to use a little triangle in, in, in marriage uh, counseling that if you say the, the husband is this side, the wife is that side, and God's at the top, and you kind of show the, the closer you get to God the closer you're going to get to one another. The closer you get to one another, the closer you're going to get to God. I think that's just a neat spiritual, spiritual picture. Think about that in the body of Christ. If, if, if this congregation is to be closer to God, whatever that means, 
I know what that means. People say it all the time. But to be in a more intimate love relationship with God, if we're to be that, we need to grow closer to one another. See, look at that triangle. I cannot be going this way if you're over here. I can't be pursuing God this way and think I'm going to be closer to you because I'm running from you. I have to pursue you as I pursue God. That's good. I thought it was. (laughs) Emotionally. It means emotionally entering into the lives of those people. Literally, that's what he's saying there. In 1 Corinthians, Paul said, suffer when someone suffers. Honor when they're honored. Rejoice when they rejoice. Here's here's one of those things I'm not proud of, but I am proud of it. Um, One of my struggles in my Christian walk is constantly to worry about things that I can't control. Confession, okay? And for me, when you folks go through tough things and there's conflict in your relationships, I lose sleep over it. I'm not proud of that, that I worry. But... I'm thankful that I'm concerned about y'all enough that that I'm doing that. Does that make sense? I I, I think what we need to do is say, when you're hurting, I'm going to hurt. When you weep, I'm going to weep. When you struggle, I'm going to struggle. Then he says, don't be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Two things to wrap up. We're called to be humble. What a calling. We're called to be humble. Do not be proud. And he says, associate with the humble. You know what he's saying? Be one of them. It's not so much, I'm going to go around and I'm going to see if I can find a humble person. Hey, can I hang out with you? That may be good. It'll rub off. But he's saying, you be one of them. Go become one of them. Be humble. Leonard Bernstein was asked, what's the most difficult part to play in the orchestra? And he said, second fiddle. He said, I can always get plenty of first violinists. The one who plays second violin with as much enthusiasm or second French horn or second flute, now that's a problem. And then he says this, if somebody doesn't play second fiddle rightly, there's no harmony. Folks, God's called us to be second fiddle. Man, I was reading about Nick Walenda, the, the high wire walker. He's a believer a year ago, I think he crossed Niagara Falls walking on a tightrope. And then, and then last year, I think he crossed the Grand Canyon, part of the Grand Canyon, walking on a tightrope. And, and thousands of people come to see this guy do it, and he signs autographs and everything. Here's what he does when everybody's gone. After the crowd dissipates, he walks around and picks up trash that they dropped on the ground. And here's what he says. He says, my purpose is simply to help clean up after myself. The huge crowd left a great deal of trash behind and I feel compelled to pitch in. But then he says this, besides, after the inordinate amount of attention I sought and received, I need to keep myself grounded. Three hours of cleaning up debris is good for my soul. Humility does not come naturally to me. So if I force myself into situations that are humbling, uh, so be it. If I know that I need to get down on my hands and knees like everyone else, so be it. I do it because it's a way to keep me from tripping. As a follower of Jesus, I see him washing the feet of others. 
I do it because I don't serve others. If I don't serve others, I'll be serving nothing but my ego. Are you willing to pick up other people's trash to be reminded that it's not about you? We're called to servanthood. We're called to servanthood. There's a church in Santa Fe, New Mexico, Episcopal Church. There's only one entrance to the church, and it has a big sign, handwritten sign, Servant's Entrance. Folks, it's not about us, it's about others. Several years ago, in uh, one of the NCAA tournament teams, I don't remember who it was, part of the Final Four in Dallas, they were interviewing the coach about how they were able to come up with this teamwork. And one of the lines that he said was this. He said, we have a motto on our team. The motto is this. Good people do for themselves. Great people do for others. Folks, let's do for others. Let's keep being the biblical community God's called us to be. Pray with me.